There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. you to open your Bible with me very quickly this morning, again to the Psalms, and I want you to find Psalm 93. Now, yesterday we were in Psalm 23. We're learning something each morning about God and how to know God better. Now, yesterday we learned that He's our shepherd. I like that. But today we learned that He is our King. He's not only our shepherd, he's our king. In fact, those two themes seem to be woven through all of the Psalms. I was sitting here last night thinking about it. And this is really interesting. Who was David? David was a shepherd king. And the Psalms reveal to us our God as our shepherd king. And when the Lord Jesus comes, he says, I am the good shepherd. And they called him the king of the Jews. When you come to know God, you come to know him in his in his humility, in his tenderness, in his love, in his guidance as shepherd, and then you come to know him in his sovereignty and his power and his glory and his majesty and his might as the king. And I have to tell you that, that knowing God as the king makes a world of difference with the crazy world we're living in right now. Because it's really easy to get your eyes on earthly leaders and think, man, what are they going to do next? I don't know what they're going to do next, but I know this. God is where he has always been. He's seated on the throne of the universe at this moment, and he's going to be there a million years from this moment as well. Because God is God, and God is our king. Look at Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord reigneth. See, Lord, all capital here again. That's Yahweh, Jehovah, covenant God. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. The reality is we do not know exactly who wrote Psalm 93. 
Remember yesterday, above Psalm 23, verse 1, it said a Psalm of David. If you look carefully here, there's no such title. We don't know who the human penman is, but it doesn't really matter because we know the Holy Spirit really is the author of all Scripture. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So whoever the human penman was, we know that this came from God to us. This is, this is the word of the Holy Spirit. And what is God saying to us in Psalm 93? Well, the context of the Psalm is trouble. In fact, the Bible uses the word floods three times. Have you ever seen a flood? How many of you ever had a flood in your part of the country? I'm just curious. Floods are terrible things. You know, people say, ah, oh, it's just a little water. No, no. When a real flood hits an area, it carries everything away. The rushing water, the noise of it is deafening. There is a, there is a power to water and to waves that is beyond anything you can imagine. And yet, notice it very carefully. Everybody look, Psalm 93, verse 3. you got the floods, the floods, the floods. But then when you come to verse 4, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. I'm thinking of another psalm that says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When the floods come, what do they say do? They say, head to high ground. Get as high as you possibly can. So look, when the trouble down there is swirling all around you, when, when the storm is raging and the rain is falling and the waves are crashing, when it seems like the noise is deafening, that is the moment to run to God, to get as close to our King as possible because He sits on high. He is above it all. He's not, he's not trapped in the midst of it. So if you can get to the Lord, you can be safe, you can be sure and secure. In the Bible, water oftentimes represents peoples, multitudes. In fact, sometimes in Scripture, people groups and nations are symbolized by the sea. I was reading in Revelation not long ago. We were actually studying through Revelation on our daily Bible study, and I came to that verse that said that someday when the Lord makes all things new, there will be no more sea. And immediately I thought, that's terrible because I love the ocean. How many of you like the ocean? I mean, I love to stand there and watch the sea, and I'm thinking, you mean, Lord, there's not going to be any of that? And then I kept reading, and I realized God's going to make everything new. Look, when God replaces something, it's always with something better. And in Revelation... So right after he says there's no more sea, he says there's a pure river of water of life flowing clear as crystal out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. There's going to be water there. The difference is the sea is always a picture in the Bible of turmoil, of currents, an undertow. It's always changing. You can't trust it. God said, I'm going to replace that with perfect peace, perfect calm in my new Jerusalem, in my new heaven and in my new earth. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to do away with all of the floods, and I'm going to make it only something you can enjoy. And I say to you, in life, there are moments of turmoil. The floods start rising. It seems like it carries away everything that, that seems secure to you. Maybe that's your world right now. Maybe your foundations have been shaken. Maybe, maybe your world got rocked by something or someone I want to say to you today, the Lord on high is mightier than that storm. Listen to me. God is our king. The question is not, is he the king? The question is, is he your king? Remember yesterday when we said, it's not just the Lord, the shepherd. It's the Lord, my shepherd. Well, it's not just the Lord, the king. It's the Lord, my king. Read your Bible. Read your Bible carefully. He is the king of the ages. He's the king of eternity. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of glory. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. He's the king of all. But the issue is, 
Is he your king? C.T. Studd that I mentioned the other night had a famous saying he used to use. I've not forgotten. He said this, in every heart there is a cross and a throne and someone is always on both. Then he said this, if you're still on the throne of your life, you're ruling, reigning, making the decisions. If you're the king, then you've left Jesus on the cross and he doesn't deserve to be on the cross. But if Jesus is going to sit on the throne of your heart, then you must be on the cross. In other words, somebody has to die so the other one can rule. And if you want the ruling presence of Jesus Christ in your life, sorry, you don't get to share the throne. You don't get to be the boss and him be the Lord. If he is really the king, then he must be king alone in your life. And Psalm 93 is given to show us the king. Would you look at the king? Everybody look at the king with me. Look at verse number 1. First we see the king's royal garments. It says, the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. First thing you always notice about a king is the way he's decked out. Look at, his, look at his crown and look at his scepter and look at the robe on him. I mean, there was something about kings that set them apart. They weren't wearing peasants' dress. They weren't wearing everyday clothes. They had on the royal garments, and God says, let me show you the king's royal garments. What are they? Look at verse number 1. Here's what's in his closet. There is strength. And there is majesty. Majesty speaks of His glory. Oh, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Not only majesty, but strength. This speaks of His power. In fact, if you come to the end of the verse, the Bible says the world also established that it cannot be moved. Do you know why the world established? Because the king holds it in the palm of his hand. This is not about the world being something. It's about the Lord being something. The creator is also the sustainer. It's not about us. It's all about him. And for the record, notice the little phrase I skipped over in verse number one. Nobody gives him his majesty or gives him his strength. He takes it to himself. The Bible says we're with he hath girded himself. You don't give it to God. You don't give him glory. Somebody said, I thought we were supposed to glorify God. Watch, please. You're just acknowledging the glory that's already there. He's the God of glory whether you recognize it or not. He's a God of strength and power whether you trust him or not. You might not acknowledge him as the king, but he's the rightful king, and his clothing is majesty and strength. That's not all. Look at verse 2. Here's our king's eternal throne. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. Would you underline two words in verse 2? Would you underline the word established? It means steadfast, sure. I don't know about you. In a world where everything is changing, and it seems like right now everybody's lost their ever-loving minds, I sure am glad that our God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's how you can trust him. That's how you can know he's not changing. His word is forever settled in heaven. So you got the word established. And then would you mark the word everlasting, never moved. In fact, this word everlasting is very often connected to our God. It's how you can know you have everlasting life because you have an everlasting God. I quoted, when was it? Yesterday sometime, I think, maybe the day before. From the oldest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses, the man of God. Do you know how Psalm 90 begins? Psalm 90 says that from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Do you know what the word everlasting literally means? It means vanishing point. Watch this. Moses says, come on, go with me. Let's go back in time as far as we can before Adam and Eve, before the garden, before the creation, when everything vanishes, 
God is there. From that vanishing point, go with me, to the other end, when the world is burned up and everything you see has passed away, God will still be God. From vanishing point to vanishing point, our God is God. I'm going to tell you, that's a king you can put your hope and trust in. So we have our king's royal garments. And then we have our king's eternal throne. All of our certainty and all of our security rest in the fact that he is our king. Here's the third thing, though. Uh, This is really the emphasis of the psalm. From verse 3 down to verse 5, you have our king's holy word. Now, we've been studying this holy word all week. In a few moments, you're going to walk out those doors with a holy word in your hand. By the way, just something practical. I don't like to see people put their Bibles on the floor. God exalted His Word above His name. I wouldn't want to dishonor His name. I don't want to dishonor His Word. I try to take care of my Bible even the way I handle it because this is the Word of God. I'm not worshiping this. I'm worshiping the God of the Word, but I want to reverence the Word of God. And even more than the way I carry it is the way I put it into my life. You see, your attitude towards the King is revealed by your attitude towards His Word. In America, we don't have kings. We have some people that think they're kings, but we don't have kings in America. But in the ancient civilization where there were actually kings, and there's still some parts of the world where there are kings today, the king's word was final. It was the seal. It was the royal decree. And God says, if you want to understand who I am, if you want to know more about my holy garments, and if you want to understand my eternal throne then you must get in my unchanging word. Look at verse number 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. There's noise in a storm. There's noise at the ocean. There's, there's that sound of the, of, the, of the current. There's that sound of, of waves crashing on the shore. That's their voice. But look at verse 4. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Can I tell you, there's a voice that cuts through all the other voices. That's the voice of our God. And if you want God to speak to you, He speaks through His Word. Sound familiar? We've come full circle back to where we started. If you want something that cuts through the noise of this stormy world, you must learn to hear from God. And look at verse number 5. Thy testimonies are very sure. A moment ago, I had you give your testimony, your story. Watch. That's good. Let me tell you something even better. His testimonies. His testimonies is his revelation of himself. And watch. Frankly, our story changes sometimes. And we don't always tell it exactly right, but look at his testimonies. His testimonies, oh, I love this, are very sure. Look, there's a whole lot I'm not sure about. I don't know what our government's going to do. I don't know what the pandemic's going to do. I don't know what the financial markets are going to do. I don't know what the future's going to be about certain things. I have no idea. I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow when I get on an airplane, but I know some things very sure. I'm very sure of this, there is a God. I'm very sure of this, God is on the throne. I'm very sure of this, he has everything under control. Why am I very sure of this? Because God reveals that in His Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And our King's Word is two things. In verse number 4, it's high. It's exalted. It's forever settled in heaven. It's high. It's bigger, greater, longer, wider than everything going on in this world. And in verse number 5, mark it, it's holy. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. It's always true. It is always right. This is the king. 
when Jesus was born. There was a man on the throne. His name was Herod. Herod thought he was the man. He really did. In fact, he was 69 years old when Jesus was born. He called himself the king of the Jews. Why do you think he got so scared when somebody said that there was a baby born in Bethlehem known as king of the Jews? Why do you think Herod killed off all the baby boys? He was satanically inspired. The devil was behind all that. But he was threatened because he was the king of the Jews. That's what he called himself. In fact, if you stood in Herod's palace in his throne room, just out the window, 600 yards from his throne room, was the most magnificent temple complex you could ever imagine. Herod had it built. Now, they'd had a temple for a long time, but Herod had it remodeled, added to, embellished. It was magnificent. Was it because he believed in Jehovah? <laughs> no, no. No, that temple wasn't about God. That temple was about him. Herod was the king of the Jews. Herod really was the God. He, he was the king. He built it for his own worship. And yet, Herod's body was racked with pain. He had kidney disease. He had a heart problem. He had gout. He had sexually transmitted diseases from his immorality. And when Jesus was just a young boy, Herod died literally eaten up of worms. They said his own servants did not want to go in the room. The stench of the death on him was so great. His gout was so bad, he could not dress himself, and he would just keep a, a, a bed sheet about him or some, some light covering on him, but he could barely put anything on his body. The pain was so great. Oh, yeah, he was the man, all right. But you know what he missed? He missed the God, the king of the Jews. And then there was Caesar. His name was Octavian. When Julius Caesar was murdered by Brutus, you know the story, his nephew's name was Octavian, and Octavian took the throne. Octavian considered himself God, deity. In fact, he had a coin minted, not the kind of coin I showed you the other day, a beautiful gold coin, and on one side it had Julius's picture, and it said, Divine Julius. Now think of this, Julius has been murdered, he's dead, Divine Julius. And on the other side, it had Octavian's picture, and it said, Divine Son. He literally called himself the Son of God. And yet, when Jesus was 20, Octavian died. It's interesting to see how the Lord can set up a king and take down a king, how men come and men go, how leaders rise and fall, and yet, watch please, there is... One king who's always been king. Oh, yes, he has. He is king this morning whether you recognize him or not, and he will always be king. And the re real question today is not, is he king? The real question today is, is he your king? Perhaps you know the story of Robert the Bruce. Some of you have watched certain movies that tell certain stories or read certain things. Robert the Bruce was king of Scotland, and at one point, in the war, he had to flee England. He disguised himself in peasant garments. He fled to the 
to the highland country and he went to a poor woman's cottage and he knocked on the door. Now remember, he's disguised. She doesn't know who he is. A poor widow woman comes to the door and asks who he is and he answers, I'm just a stranger, just a traveler. And she responds this way. She said, well, all are welcome here for the sake of one. Her answer intrigued him, so he asked, who's the one? And this was her answer. Remember now, the king who's been betrayed, the man, the leader who has been chased away, standing in front of her in peasant garments. What a parallel. She doesn't know who he is, but here's what she says. Who is that one? Our good king, Robert the Bruce, whom though he is hunted by hounds and horns, I acknowledge to be the rightful king of Scotland. And I say to you, here stands in peasant garments, a carpenter from Nazareth? Oh, yes, but disguised. For here, though he is hunted and hated, though he is rejected and abused, here stands the rightful king of eternity and the rightful king of every heart. Here is the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he your king? She was 16 years old when Jenny started writing hymns and poems, and one day she took pen in hand and wrote these words, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Oh, would to God we'd have some 16-year-olds say, King of my life, I crown thee now. I ask again, is he your king? A couple years ago, my son really got into playing chess. How many chess players are here among us? Would you raise your hand? All oh, you smart people, good. For the record, I hate chess. I'm a checkers man myself. Any of you checkers people out there? Oh, yes. Look at that. We got the majority in here today. My son taught me to start playing chess. I think he did it for his own amusement because he beats me every time we play. Never play with a person who teaches you. You know what I'm saying? They never teach you everything. I still don't understand certain things about chess. It's weird. It's a weird game. All the pieces are so different. All the pieces move in different directions. I mean, like this one diagonal, this one two over, and this one. Wait a minute. There's no simplicity in it. And there's some things that just aren't right. For example, the queen has more power than the king. That's just not right. I want you to know that. So there's one fundamental difference between checkers and chess, and it is this. In checkers, everybody's goal is one thing, get to the other end of the board and proudly announce to your playing partner, king me. But in chess, there's already a king. It exists when you start. And in fact, every other piece on the board is there only for one purpose, and that is for the sake of the king. Might I say to you, most people live their lives like they're playing checkers. Lots of movement. Lots of, got you on that one. Lots of king me. Look up here, please. But the Christian life is more like chess than it is like checkers. There are things that don't always make sense. But in the end, there's only one king. 
And every other piece on the board and every other move in the game exists for one purpose. And that is for that king. So you can be really busy. You can have lots of movement. And you can get kinged many times in life. You can be the man. But like Herod and like Octavian and like every other person who's ever lived, you'll die. And you'll meet the king. Or you can say, by the grace of God, I'm going to live my life every day for the one rightful king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray this morning that you'll help all of us know the king better. May this day be a glad day of surrender of obedience to the King. Oh, Lord Jesus. Sit on the throne of our hearts and rule and reign over this day. Rule the good and overrule the evil. May in every way you be King in us. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look at me just a moment? I saved a minute and a half for a reason. I have so enjoyed every morning having the opportunity to talk to you from the Word of God, and then you go out, get in the Word of God for yourself. Listen to me, please. There's no substitute for you opening the Bible for yourself. Even preaching and teaching can't substitute for your devotional time. But I want to tell you this morning about a way we could keep studying the Bible together when you get home from camp. Every day, five days a week at least, Monday through Friday, we have a new episode, a new podcast episode up that is a 10-minute Bible study. It's all it is, 10 minutes, shorter than what I've been speaking to you each morning, 10 minutes. I mean, you listen to that while you're getting ready or while you're driving to school, 10 minutes. And several of you have told me you listened to it already, and I appreciate it. It's really easy to remember. It's called Enjoying the Journey. You can find it on any podcast platform, so Apple, Google, Spotify, anyone you want. Just type in Enjoying the Journey or type in my name, and you'll find it. You can subscribe to it and listen to it. Right now, we're in a, a series where we're studying the family. What, is, what does the Bible have to say about family. Not just your family now, but the kind of family you want to have someday. We just finished the book of Jonah. We have an archive of about almost a thousand episodes now, all different books of the Bible and different subjects. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole series on what does the Bible say about alcohol, lots of other subjects and Bible characters and books of the Bible. You can go back through if you want to. But I would love, and I mean this, love the opportunity to keep studying the Bible with you each morning. And uh, you can at least connect with us that way, and it would give me an opportunity to continue to teach you God's Word been a joy to speak to. I can't wait for the final meeting tonight. Hope you'll pray for it through the day. You're on your way to God in our time now. Thank you so much. Have a great day. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.